Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. How you doing? Um, a lot of familiar faces, and uh, to those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet, um, it's good to meet you. It's good to be here. Um, thank you to Josh and Willow in the back, um, those that serve kind of on the technology side of it that are always at the back of the room. I love their service. Uh, those of you that made coffee this morning, um, thank you. Coronavirus um, has upped my coffee intake to five cups a day. Uh, which is wonderful, so thank you for making coffee. Uh, pure religion is this, that you would look after orphans and widows in their distress and make the coffee for church on Sunday. So it's pure religion. Um, Tamara intended to be here uh, with us. We were going to come as a family, but um, she's kind of recovering. Two and a half weeks ago, she had COVID, and, uh, and so Friday was her first day back to, to work. She works at George Fox University and. This week's going to be a big week, so we kind of felt like it was best for her to stay and, and rest, but she sends her greetings. Um, our daughter Esther just started at George Fox, living in the dorms. Our daughter Mary Joy is uh, sitting right here, starting at Portland State, her second year, but first year um, living on campus. Uh, we have three people driving uh, in the family. Uh, Sarah just got her license, uh, and then... Um, Ashlyn is about uh, six feet tall. That's what it feels like. But um, so life is in session. Um, it's we're down in Newburgh now. Uh, so I don't know if, how much of my story you know, but um, dealing with chronic illness, evidently been dealing with it for about 11, 12 years. Uh, a lot of the time at Antioch, um, but diagnosed uh, just recently, about a year and a half ago. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, trying to get a handle on, on Crohn's and what that means, uh, the fatigue with different medicines that I'm taking, uh, what that looks like, um, just even what it means to have your head spin. So any of you that, that have dealt with anxiety for a long time, forgive me. I never knew that that was more than just an adjective, uh, that it was a real thing. And so, uh, yeah, uh, Lord's kind of teaching me a lot that way. Um, Tamara, like I said, works at George Fox. I'm living my dream. I, I work at a winery called Winderley. Uh, I'll be there tomorrow at 6 a.m. sorting grapes uh, on the harvest line. Um, and so, yeah, it touches kind of all my passions, uh, history, theology, um, the vineyards, the bottle, the glass. Uh, it just kind of, um, yeah, you guys know my old world side, so um, it's kind of fun. But yeah, it's a joy to be here. Uh, and what I just want to share is kind of my living messages, I've, I've decided to, to call it, um, but just... Uh, the gospel of grace, a healing gospel, and and what that looks like. So um, enough about me. We'll jump into that. Sound okay? Um, I love philosophy. Uh, philosophy is is just a, a discipline um, that really tries to make good distinctions. Uh, so a good distinction is worth its weight in gold and illuminates so many things. And so uh, a favorite philosopher of mine, we actually had her speak at Antioch about a decade ago, uh, but is Eleanor Stump. Eleanor Stump is a, a famous Catholic theologian, uh, but, but well-known, really well-known for her uh, way of coming at or explaining uh, the problem of evil. 
um, the problem of suffering, which is a great topic this weekend because I came to Bend and it's smoky and the Clemson Tigers lost. So the problem of evil. Um, uh, but the problem of evil is, is, is a big one because it really puts pressure on uh, the idea of uh, the Christian notion of God. So if you've got a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, how can you have suffering? How can you have evil? How can you have pain uh, in the world? And so there's a whole discipline in the philosophy of religion which uh, comes at this question, uh, and they're really trying to build what's called a theodicy. So uh, theodicy is, is the, the Greek word theos and then dike. Theos is God, dike is justice. So we're, we're basically trying to justify God, which sounds kind of funny if uh, you know anything about God being all-powerful, but it's how do you give a reason for, an accounting for, a, de- a defense for God and God's justice given the fact that there's evil. And uh, those explanations will usually be on, on one of two extremes. There'll be a first-person accounting, which is really trying to sort out your experience of pain or evil and, and reconcile that with, with uh, the notion of God or what it is you're going through in, in, in life. Or it's the third person kind of accounting, which is really trying to um, bend and play with your experience to say it, it really can map on or exist with a God. Kind of rationalize your experience. And we all know that because it drives us crazy. So anytime you've, you've been going through something and a friend comes to you and, and you just can't stand what they're saying, they're, they're giving you a third person kind of rationalization. And it's really more about them. I think at that point, it's, it's about how do we make the equation um, even out? How do we make the math work? Because your pain also creates an existential problem for me that, that I have to make my faith or my, my religious views um, still work given the fact that you're, you're miserable. So a lot of times when I'm coming to you and, and, and talking to you, I'm really trying to rationalize my faith so that when I walk away, I'm at peace. Um, and that's why we, we react so strongly when our friends do that to us um, instead of just sitting with us uh, in our pain. And so um, the book of Job is a, a classic example of this. And so Eleanor Stump kind of walks us into the book of Job. But the book of Job is how do we take somebody that's righteous, that's just, uh, the person that has it all together, Job, and put that person into this experience of unwarranted suffering where, where they can, can uh, actually say this, this doesn't feel fair, this feels gratuitous, it feels wrong, and, and be in that position of pain. So Job, first person, experiencing pain, um, loss, grief, the death of loved ones, scraping boils off of his skin and, and going, this is pure torture. To exist is to suffer. First person. Um, and it prolongs. It, it doesn't just resolve when his friends come to him and go, but God is good. You must have something or another, or if you would only this or that, it actually doesn't work. Job remains in his pain. 
third person. Job's friends come to him and they're going, you know, God is good. God is just. You must have screwed up. This is punishment for something you did. If you would just confess, if you would just these things, that would then reconcile the circumstances that you're in. Um, But ultimately, there's a way to make this work if you would just understand how we see it. And Job's going, no, you guys don't understand. And eventually Job turns from suffering uh, to talking with his friends to going, what I really need to do is come before God. I, I want to stand before God as if I'm in a courtroom and to present my case and to go, this obviously isn't fair. This is wrong. I'm being wronged. I'm being injured. And, and to have God respond to that charge. That's what Job really wants. Uh, and so Job does that in the book, and God finally comes to him, and it's really fascinating. Uh, God says, brace yourself. Um, And so I can't picture this other than maybe being in the temple court when Jesus uh, walked in, but but to have God come at you uh, and that you have to stand firm and be ready to take that. And God Um, comes to Job, says, brace yourself, and then proceeds to not answer Job, but to question Job. So Job's looking for an answer to resolve the math equation. Uh, God comes to Job and questions him and says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you when I created this? Where were you when when I gave life to that fish or this uh, the, the oaks or, or whatever it is in creation, where were you? And so God brings his sovereignty to Job and he does it in an extended way and Job listens and finally God stops and we see kind of Job's conclusion here. And so this is Job's confession. It says, then Job answered the Lord. I know that you can do all things No purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, you're sovereign. Uh, You asked, who is this who darkens counsel with knowledge? But I have declared without understanding things that are too wonderful for me to know. You said, pay attention and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. Therefore, I, Job, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I despise myself now repent in dust and ashes. So Job, who's experiencing suffering, um, the circumstances aren't changing. He wants God to answer him. God comes, questions Job, and then basically looks at Job and says, are you answered? And Job says, yes, I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm gonna step back. Um, I have what I needed. And, uh, and you kind of wonder, but you're still in pain. The circumstances haven't changed. What did you get, Job, that causes you to say that you're satisfied and then to be in this humble position? I despise myself. I repent in dust and, uh, dust and ashes. You came forward with this case like, like you had this justified right um, to question God. And now you're... you're you're uh, walking away in dust and ashes in a very humble position. What was it you gained? What changed? And Eleanor Stump would say uh, that it was the second person experience of God. So first person experience, what I feel. 
Third person, the circumstances that we all share together. Second person is the experience of another, the relational quality, the presence of somebody being there. So Job was suffering. God walked into the room and said, I'm sovereign, I see you. I see you. I'm here, I see you. I am sovereign, I am powerful, I am in control. And Job says, that's enough. That's enough. Job's answer was the presence of God. And that satisfied the riddle. Faith was what somehow made the math equation work out, that I'm gonna trust you, God, because you're trustworthy. I'm gonna put my faith in you because you're faithful. And all I needed was to know that you saw me, to, to know that you would show up. Though I walk through the, uh, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. The second person is, is, even though we dabble in first person, third person, the second person is really where this language of faith comes alive, isn't it? Isn't that kind of the whole story of scripture? The, the incarnation, it's what is going on in this world. There's the suffering and the cries and we still experience uh, that. Jesus, take away my hunger, right? And Jesus is like, that's not why I came. And, and there's the circumstances of the Roman occupation and oppression, third person, and, and, and Jesus, come topple the Romans, come and, and be king, take David's throne. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. And eventually Jesus goes to, to the cross and dies and shows us that the essence of faith exists in the middle of suffering, that the math equation doesn't always work when we want it to, and he declares, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, we are promised in our Christian faith that everything will be reconciled. God is actively reconciling all things. We don't get to declare or demand that all things in my life, with my experience, be reconciled when I want it to through the circumstances that I'm encountering. Nowhere in scripture are we promised that kind of resolution. The way for us in scripture that is shown is, is the way of faith. Come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you myself. I will give you my presence and that will give you rest. I think the rest Jesus is talking about is the rest of questioning. It's, it's being at peace knowing that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God sees, that God loves. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. I've been living in Isaiah for a while now. And we get something really interesting in Isaiah chapter 40. We see kind of a microcosm of the book of Job. It begins this way. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Um, I don't know about you, but that's kind of the word that I would want to hear if I'm coming to church on a Sunday morning. I don't know that I would want to hear wise words from a pastor. I think I would want to somehow hear through uh, the Holy Spirit, a message of comfort, a gospel of grace, a gospel of healing. And that's what God says. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her her hard service, your life of leaning in and wrestling and experiencing tension, your hard service of active faith has been completed. Your sin has been paid for. Uh, 
There's something beautiful about that. And it continues on. And basically in this chapter, uh, God goes on a rant just like he does in Job. I'll show you uh, a picture that's kind of not meant for you to read what's on it. But this whole section is God declaring um, what, what is true about him and his sovereignty. Uh, sovereignty. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? It's basically the same thing as in in Job, declaring what God is, who God is. Um, And then we get to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. And this is what it says. Why do you say, Jacob, why do you say, Israel, that the Lord is not aware of what is happening to me? My God is not concerned with my vindication. Job sought vindication from God, but he didn't even have to present his case. And God said, are you answered? What we get with the second person uh, um, experience of God is vindication without having to put the case forward. It's the presence of God that gives us the answer. We sang it in the song, your presence is all I want. Your presence, God, is all I want. So the Lord is aware we think he's not. God is concerned with our vindication. Um, If we go to uh, a different translation of the Bible, uh, this is the NIV Verse 27 says this, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. You know, the, the idea of the hiddenness of God is, is not so much about God. It's often about us thinking God doesn't see our issue. And in feeling like our issue is not being addressed or seen by God, it therefore makes us feel like God is an unseeing God that God is hidden. And the reality is, is just because God isn't fixing or solving our experience or our circumstances doesn't mean that God doesn't see, doesn't mean that God's not vindicating us in our pain and in our suffering. You see, vindication isn't um, the way we think it is with this pseudo-prosperity gospel that we've all lived into or inherited. If someone comes and says, I believe in the prosperity gospel, it's all about riches, we're going to look at them and say, that's horrible theology, and why would you think that God's just going to somehow make you rich? But then we turn around over here, and we believe this gospel that somehow God is going to always make me comfortable. Somehow God is going to always justify me. Somehow God is going to show everyone my righteousness. And we don't realize that when the righteous Jesus walked into the religious space, the religious space crucified him. What arrogance is it that that somehow our goodness is going to meet with comfort when all we've been shown is that goodness actually meets with truth and with appreciation from God, God's faithfulness, but not necessarily our comfort. We've, we've bought a gospel that's not the real gospel. We've bought a gospel that's really about um, reconciling our anxiety. And I love mindfulness, but, but I sure hope there's something more than mindfulness. I sure hope there's someone, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I need what I really long for is the presence of God. Think about anything you have, like when you're by yourself and experiencing it, it's one way. When someone that loves you walks in the room and sits down, it resolves, not completely, but it resolves in a deep human kind of way. Um, If we continue and go over to Isaiah 57, uh, fascinating chapter. But Isaiah 57, uh, we read in verses 11 uh, through 13. I'll just read. It says, Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me and have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart? Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. This is a fascinating little nugget. Um, the best, I'm beginning to realize, the best parts of scripture are the ones that you never hear in sermons or that I never, I, you know, for me that I never preached in a sermon, but they, they jump off the page. I mean, look at this. Um, God is saying, is the reason you don't look to me, stand in awe of me or fear me because I have long been silent? We, um, we think that, that God's existence is going to be proven true by him giving voice to his reality when and where we want him to speak um, or to, to give explanation for himself. And God doesn't work in that way. And God works on a different time scale. And he is not afraid to tell us that. He's like, Really? You've wandered your distance. Uh, You don't recognize my sovereignty. You don't have any fear for me because I've been silent for so long. And he kind of comes in and says, let me show you what will happen. I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. The more silent God is, the more we put our human um, kind of rationality or self-justification in, the more we grow our righteousness, our self-righteousness, our sense of importance, our sense of worth, our own justification, we inflate like squeezing a balloon at the expense of giving God his due. So unlike Job who repented in dust and ashes uh, with his humility, we end up in our pride or in our ego. That's the, the kind of pivot that happens. So I want to just talk about that righteousness for just a minute um, because I think we can't understand the gospel uh, unless we put it in juxtaposition to the anti-gospel. Let me say that again. Um, we try to understand the gospel all the time every week, but we never have bullseyes with which to frame it. Uh, we don't put it in contrast to something else. And I think the anti-gospel is, is not the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of law. The one that in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul says, came to show us that it was no gospel at all, that we couldn't actually live under the law and that it required something different, a gospel of grace. So legalism to me is fundamentally the thing that we're battling against even when we don't realize we're battling against it. Um, it's, it's my pride, it's your pride, it's our pride. 
Uh, and the first thing to do with a legalist, by the way, or a Pharisee, is not to argue with them. It's what a Pharisee wants is a fight, right? That's New Testament. That's all the Pharisee wants is a fight. So the, the approach with the Pharisee is, is like uh, in basketball, take the charge. You show the truth of a gospel of grace by demonstrating it by not being right, just taking the charge. Or if it's like tennis, let that ball go. Don't jump into that, geez, these days, political argument or whatever it is. Like we can let things go without having to be right. Being right is our arrogance. Understanding that we're righteous, feeling that we've been vindicated and justified, that's our gospel. Um, I, uh, my daughter Esther, she's writes about a song a night. She's a, an avid songwriter um, and she's incredibly deep. And we were having this conversation and she said to me, she says, Dad, it's not hard to teach people how to hide the truth of their own sinfulness. It's not hard to teach people how to hide the truth of their own sinfulness. Um, something you never heard a Pharisee say, my name is Nicodemus and I'm an alcoholic. Right? We never see with the Pharisees, we never see with the legalists that they would walk in and just go, this is who I am. We see them walk in and say why they're right, why they're better, why they're different than. Um, Esther said this. She said, Dad, I think Jesus is sick of perfect people bullshit. <laughs> of course, I scolded her for her language. I'm just kidding. Um, Jesus is sick of perfect people bullshit. She said, perfect people have shallow lives. Perfect people don't actually engage with the real stuff of life, the suffering. They're always trying to put a veneer on it, a face on it. They're always trying to, uh, in some self, be enough, in some ways be enough by themselves so they never actually experience the messiness of life that would call into question their own perfection, that would call into question their reputation. Um, perfect people leave or have shallow lives. I, I thought about it. Um, Peter in the boat, right? It's kind of Funny, Jesus is out in the storm and calls Peter out, out of the boat and onto the water, right? Um, how funny would it be if, like, Peter jumped out of the boat when it got to shore, you know, where he could touch? <laughs> it was like I did it, you know? Um, it's just a funny picture to me. Like, Peter can jump out of the boat, but if he can touch, it's not really the same thing. Um, when it's shallow, it's not really the same thing. Um, the reality of the human experience, the Job experience, the real experience that we go through, when we jump into that with faith in the middle of the mess and go, somehow Jesus is calling me into that mess to be with him. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. That's what we're talking about here. That's a living declaration that says, in my humility, I know that you're enough, God. In my lack of feeling happiness, I still know that you're enough. In uh, my experience of difficult circumstances or pain or grief or lament, I still know that you're enough, even if it's by faith, meaning I'm saying I believe it, even if I don't feel it. Um, it's 
chicken and egg, but why do we go to church? Um, if we experience the love of God, we have grace for other people. Those who have been forgiven much, uh, forgive much, right? If we experience forgiveness with people, we understand the forgiveness or grace of God. It's, it's like this. Wherever you start, you're revolving around the gospel of grace. If I experience your forgiveness and grace, I understand the love of God. If I understand the love of God, I'm going to give you a hug regardless of what's going on with you. Um, it's really interesting that, that somehow we've built religion that the longer we're in it and the further we go, um, the less honest we are with our, our sin or our secrets. Um, we become caught in our reputation. I mean, nakedness is really what it's about, but um, we don't reveal much when people see us as much. We don't reveal much when people see us as much. So what happens then is we get churches that more and more as time goes by become filled with people that are less and less receptive or gracious to those that are coming in and going, my life is shit. Um, Psalm, I just read this last night. So this is just, this is how scripture rolls and, and um, the test of our theology is scripture. How do you understand a scripture by the other scriptures? We, we see it because truth resounds. Listen to this. Uh, Psalm 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. That's amazing. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands. So those of you that are oppressed, tell your story. Some wandered in the wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. Tell your story. In your dep uh, depression, in your depleted state, tell your story. Those who are hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away, those that can't hang on, those that are completely empty, they cried out to the Lord in the trouble and he delivered them in their distress. God is gonna redeem you if that's your situation. Tell your story. It continues though. Um, let them give, give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds. He satisfies the thirsty. He fills the hungry. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They got the fruit of their sin, of their behavior. They stumbled and there was no one to help, but they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness. He broke away their chains. He broke away their chains. He breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron to get to you when you're sitting in darkness because of the fruit of your own actions. So whatever it is, your neediness, your weakness, your sinfulness, those of you who are of the Lord tell your story. Uh, I don't know where you're coming in today, but I know that I'm just like you. Um, I know that I'm dealing with my depression and my anxiety. 
I know that I'm dealing with chronic illness and what that looks like. I know that I'm dealing with that sense of utter loneliness that no one really understands what it's like to suffer on the inside, but on the outside to look normal. Um, if you're in that spot, I know what that feels like. Um, I, went away to, uh, I went away to rehab this summer for an ambient addiction. Um, some of you know that I've been on Ambient for a long time, traveling internationally in, in the Crohn's. Um, and like every substance, it works until it doesn't. Um, so whatever you're going through, I know what that feels like. I had to leave my family and went down to California, um, lived at a place in Laurel Canyon where all the music was made. Uh, got to see Steven Tyler um, at a grocery store when, when I got out. Um, but I live with that as part of my story in dust and ashes. And in that story, I can receive the grace of God. I can receive the presence of God. I can receive God declaring how great God is. And I can say, amen. I can be naked and unashamed. The second person experience of God that satisfies us even, even if we live with the tension of faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. If that's not tension-filled, unresolved, ongoing through life, I don't know what is. Um, I get to live uh, day by day. My new discipline, I, I just got to make it till midnight. I just got to make it till midnight. And that's a good day. I get started all over tomorrow. And then I can say tomorrow, I just need to make it to midnight. I need to be in the moment. I need to, to show up for the people that I didn't show up for before. I get to, to pattern God's grace by showing up, just being present. Um, I don't know what you're coming in with today, but I, I do know that I, I really care deeply about your healing that I, I care deeply about you experiencing some healing today. I know that that's what God wants. He's told me, comfort, comfort, says the Lord. Preach comfort, preach grace, preach a gospel of healing. Don't preach yourself. Stand back in your humility and let the grace of God be visible to all that it might satisfy those who need it. Come to me, all you who are weary, said Jesus. I will give you myself. That's why we take communion every week because it's centered at the cross, a reminder of the presence of God in this world with us in suffering, in his suffering, in your suffering, that we can still meet there and have our sins forgiven. So as Pete comes up to lead us into the table, I'm going to read out of Isaiah 40. So Isaiah 40, remember, was this, this uh, chapter that begins with, with speaking comfort as, as God de, uh, desires into this declaration of who God is as the sovereign one. And then it comes to the end with these famous words, um, these words that we've heard out of context maybe for a long time, and I'll read the longer section of it. But I said, my way is hidden from the Lord, remember? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, it switches gears here, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow, grow tired, he will not grow weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen? Amen. Amen.